And I'm Karen Wright. Joining me now, our good friend, Master Gardener, Barb Lampson. Hey, Barb. Hey there, Karen. It's a beautiful morning. It is. It, as a matter of fact, I was out. I checked the rain gauge. We got four-tenths of an inch of rain early morning, late last night. And um, that's really kind of a... We needed that again. We really did. But my bigger thing is... First thing in the morning, checking for the Japanese beetles. And I was wondering the other day, when we have these downfalls, where do the Japanese beetles go? And uh, first thing this morning, I looked on the yellow roses, which are um, easy elegance that I've got in the backyard. It's a multiple-petaled rose, but it's not a great big floribunda. And there they were. They (laughs) dig deeper into underneath the petals yes and they stack up on each other they do um, it's it's like it's like a big party like how many people can we fit into this or japanese beetles can we fit into this phone booth yeah yeah that's right so four of them absolutely stacked right up on top of each other <laughs> snuggled right close into where the petal comes out mm-hmm. of of the stem and i thought well that's what you do do you take turns do you shift you know so you you go from the top to the bottom to the... But anyway, they were sound asleep, grabbed them up and got them in, off and into the soapy water. And then I checked on the dahlias, and where the dahlias, uh, the last couple of days, they've had one or two, you know, just isolated incidences. It was the same thing. They had went into the, the petal as far as they could go, and they were stacked up on each other. So apparently they don't like the rain. They do know how to to survive a rainstorm. They're in there. They're secure. And uh, and they were sleeping there too. They were just they were uh, I took a couple of them off on one side and the others didn't even wake up. I mean, I was very gentle in 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 taking them off, but uh so that answers my questions. I think uh Japanese beetles, they they know how to survive uh, rain and wind. Well, I found a bunch, you know, too. They're they're getting lighter. They usually end kind of in August, but uh, these are the hangers on, like you said, and maybe the rain. Uh, I always wonder a lot of times where do things go when when it does rain. And like you said, in this case, they're kind of hiding under the petals and just trying to protect themselves and and survive. Well, I just wanted to talk about there's there's always good news if you look for it. And one of the things we haven't talked about yet is uh, the suffragettes. And um, in 1920, the passage of the amendment to give women the right to vote. And that was just such an amazing thing. And long before 1920, when the amendment passed, uh, women were working on this. There were early suffragettes that that understood that if they had the right to vote, they could Im- improve the working conditions for children. Children went into mines at a very young age and worked. They went into factories and they worked. But this was one way, if they got the right to vote, they also could influence uh, these these conditions. There were other conditions, too. And uh, black women joined uh, because they had... Uh, they had their own issues that they wanted to go, but they realized, too, that they needed the right to vote. And then after um, 
uh, after we got that, they continued, because of the Jim Crow laws, continued to be out there working for the right for people to vote and to change these um, uh, laws that had prohibited them from doing this, these Jim Crow laws. So I was thinking, I see, I read an article this week about um, in New York, in the park, in Central Park, they erected a statue to the suffragette movement with uh, some of the significant women that participated in that, like Susan B. Anthony. But you know, there are so many women who worked so hard and so diligently on that that it's hard to just put a couple of names down there. I hope that maybe when we're doing public art that we can think about doing something to uh, honor these early suffragettes who just really um, raising families, struggling with uh, really bad conditions, found the time to go out and support and rally for getting this amendment passed. So that really is the good news, and thank you to all those early women who improved our lives and got us to where we are today. So uh, that's 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 worthwhile thinking about. Well, that's great. I, that's great news to point out. You know, my mom was very active in terms. She became active politically because she wanted things to change. And last night, I was talking to someone from my hometown who says, you know, I always admired your mom. She never, she always spoke up for what she thought was right for the people. And, you know, a lot of people put her down because they didn't always agree with her, but she stood for her ground. And, you know, that was tough as a woman back then. In fact, she was the first woman on the county board back in Polk County in Wisconsin. And it was a tough road to hoe. And I think there's a lot of women before her who have done that as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations to her. And, and you know, that influences you. Yes. Um, the parents have tremendous influence on their children. I realize society does, too. But when they see you living uh, and working for the good of others, they're bound to adapt that, and they also will want the good for all others. So um, in the garden this week, um, up at Good Council, oh, my goodness, we have got weeds coming. You wouldn't think there could be so many weed seeds in a garden that's been constantly weeded and had mulch on it, but there are, and so I would encourage anybody, you know, if you've got a garden, I know it's it's the last thing you want to be doing now. You want to be picking all your, your fruits of your labor, your tomatoes and your cucumbers and all those good things, but don't forget to get rid of those weeds. Get them out of the garden. Before and they, yeah, before they go to seed, because now is the time. If you get one one plant, one weed, and it goes to seed, you're going to have hundreds and hundreds. So, yeah, yeah, that is that is so true, Karen. And you know, when the ground is wet like this, if you can work from the edge of the garden, like on the grass, and reach in and lift them out, they come out pretty. They're they're much easier than when the ground is really dry and then you have to get in there with a spade or something and and get them out so so don't delay that task and and of course as always don't let your vegetables get too big if you let the zucchini if you're tired of zucchini don't leave them on the vine because if you do you don't get any new younger ones coming on and the same is true of the cucumbers you know keep picking and an amazing thing, and we talked about this briefly once before, uh, up at the garden, we have a patio tomato there that reseeded itself in a space 
where I had the peas planted, and the peas were a total, um, they, they just, uh, they, they died out, it was too hot, mm-hmm. it was, and so I just thought, okay, well, rather than having nothing here, and this is a tomato that we got from Harvey last year, this patio tomato, and that tomato never got any special attention. Yeah, I didn't stake it, I didn't prune it, um, I, I really, truly just neglected it, yet it grew, and that tomato, you go up there, and it's just covered with patio tomatoes, and they're ripe. They're not as tasty as our tomato berry is, the one we're growing at home, but they are prolific. They're just <laughs> really prolific, and, and they're, they're fine on salads, and you can make them into, uh, other, you can do other things with them if you, if you can or if you freeze. They're perfectly fine for that. But so I've been wondering, you know, what is it when, when seed is allowed to come up and grow uh, when the soil is just the right temperature and it's not taken out of a small pot and transplanted? They seem to do so much better. Maybe there's a lot of things you can't do that with, but certainly with these uh, patio tomatoes, they, they certainly work well like that. Well, my you speaking of prolific, my tomato berries are so prolific. I I'm overwhelmed. I'm not able to keep up with the picking of them. And you know, there's only so much you can do with them. And I, I didn't plant jalapeno peppers, so Jeff was making. My husband was making some some salsas. You know, I've got the sweet peppers, and he used the sweet peppers with the tomato berries to make the salsa. But it was just a little too sweet, so I had him go and get buy me a, a couple of jalapeno peppers because it's nice to have a little bite. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, I didn't quite get everything I needed but uh, the onions you know I'm harvesting onions and and I've still got the leeks I haven't really harvested any of them have you done your leeks yet uh, no because I didn't plant leeks this oh, year oh you didn't I I had those 200 those 200 plants of onions right and they <laughs> took that space and oh my goodness my onions are just beautiful I mean they've been drying in the in the greenhouse and both the reds and the yellows and I just go out when I need an onion and bring one in, and they're absolutely, they're, they're perfect. They're just really, really great. So, but with the salsa, Karen, I found that I like to make it, and I like to freeze it rather than canning it. And I have those plastic freezer containers. I mark it, put the time, the date on it, and and I add that when I'm making um if, if I were going to make a vegetable dish and I needed tomato in that and a little bit of spice, boy, does that ever, um, it, it take, kicks it up another notch. Very, very good to add it that way. So if you think uh, you're just going to use salsa in the normal way, do some extra ones and then experiment with it and, and see how many ways you can use it. Because if you've got um, this wonderful peppers in there and you've got the seasoning and the cilantro, uh, a little bit of hot pepper. Boy, it's it's terrific. It's worthwhile doing. So try that. Okay. I, I, I'm always open to try new things. Hey, you know, Barb, you've been a master gardener for, I was trying to remember for how long. How many years have you been? It's over 35, I think. Yeah. So this will be, uh, coming up in 2021, this will be my 39th year. Wow. Well, yeah. I've only been one since 2016, but I wanted to talk about it. 
that we be you became you know way back when and i just did it in 2016 now is the time the master gardeners are recruiting new members and you yes. don't have to be a, a gardening expert at all in fact the, the whole purpose of, of Master Gardener is lifelong learning and sharing your knowledge with others. And right now they are recruiting people to become a Master Gardener. First, I'll ask you, why did you become one? Well, it was, it was uh, the whole idea of learning more about gardening. I mean, I was gardening. My grandmother was the inspiration. She came from Sweden, and she had this fantastic garden. And it was like when you walked into her backyard, you entered this place of peace and calm, and I just loved that. It was so tranquil. So she would give me things to take home to plant, and that's what got me started. And um, I, I, loved, I loved gardening. As a matter of fact, the first, my husband and I were married in August, and the next summer my mother-in-law said, well, do you want to have at least a row out here in the garden and plant something? <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, that would be so great because we lived in an apartment. Well, as we bought our own home and I kept expanding, first I was mostly interested in flowers, but then the idea of growing your own vegetables. So when I read in the paper that the university was starting these classes, um, I wrote and asked them if we could have the classes in, in the outstate. Oh. And, and, and they said as soon as they got all the... Um, program perfected and they were able to do that it would be coming to our outstate and at that time byron kunkel was our uh extension agent and i said to him you know byron i want to take this class and he said well i'll let you know so from our area there was ronnie burton dr ronnie burton and marge meredith and myself we were the three from blue earth county then we it was offered to the region and we had people coming in from outside the region. There were about 20 of us that became the first master gardeners then. Wow, so you are a pioneer, Barb, and I'm just a, a new person, but the deadline is uh, is October 1st, so it's coming up, so they want people to know about it. So if you want to know more, you can go you know, go online to the University of Minnesota Master Gardeners. It's a, it's a program is to use science-based horticulture knowledge and practices for de- delivering educational outreach and project-based efforts. And your, one of your projects has been working with school children. Yes, school children and trying new things, you know, um, and uh, working with pollinators. You know, I had a gentleman, I work out in the front yard a lot of times, <laughs> sometimes just digging up weeds, and he stopped and he said, um, what is that plant there? It was, it's a purple flowering plant. I said, well, that's a salvia. He said, there are four honeybees on that plant. Mm-hmm. He said, that is a worthwhile plant to have. And I said, yeah, it is. And, and the other thing about that, it's a perennial, but if you keep deadheading the old things on it, you can extend it out. So it's been blooming for about a month, and the bees do love it. He said, well, you know, that's a plant that I would like to have. I said, salvias are really good for that reason. Well, people have become more aware of their environment and that they are playing a role in this, and especially for our pollinators. And the other thing that we want to encourage them to do is before you use any chemical in your yard, whether it's to kill weeds or a chemical fertilizer or something to spray mosquitoes, 
be sure and consider the effect that that's going to have on our pollinators. And there might be other people that are just doing everything they can to save them, and you're going to be negating that. So uh, that whole thing of being an advocate, uh, that's, that's more important than ever. And that's part of what we do in our jobs. I mean, obviously, I, I have my own radio show, so I do this with you and you've been doing it for years and years to to educate people but uh, in terms of what it involves you apply it's a you know you can apply online and then they let you know by december first whether or not you uh, are accepted into the program you have to do a background check basically fill out some things and you know do that and then the next step is they've got classes now uh, i went in person and it was up at the arboretum and it was, uh, I believe it was January, February time frame on, on weekends. And so it was really a lot of fun. Met a lot of people that way. Learned so much. Everything from, you know, soil science to, like you said, pollinators to vegetable gardening to insect management and that sort of thing. So you learn a, a lot of different things. And if you don't know it, there's usually somebody else that, that has more of that expertise that you can rely on. So that's what I really like about it. But want to let people know, if you're interested, you don't have to be an expert. A lot of people say, oh, I have a brown thumb. Well, don't let that stop you because the goal is so you know more. And maybe you only have an interest in vegetables. That's fine. They'll teach you know, you'll learn about other things too. But with me, I mean, I have gone in and I've, it's created a monster out of me in terms of I've expanded, you know, from vegetables to flowers to landscaping to to uh, shorescaping to uh, pond pond plants. And, and, and I've just, my interest has just grown and, and so much. So anyway, it's, um, a great program and in our case there is a cost but it's uh the club if you fulfill the requirements they actually uh reimburse some of that so it's actually not a bad thing yeah, at all yeah. so and you know the thing of it is um with gardening there is so much new to learn all the time and there's things that come up and it encourages you uh you use best practices but you can still have failures and it oh, yes. encourages you to learn from your mistakes and try things different ways. So to me, I've become more of a scientist in that I want to do research. I want to figure out cause and effect. What happened here? Why is this happening? You know. So um, last week, this, this past week now, up at Good Council, there were some people, and they were picking their muskmelons and watermelons. And... Um, and they cut a couple open, and they were just a little bit too early on them. Um, the color was there, but the flavor wasn't there. And so that's an often asked question that I hear is, you know, when will I know that I can pick my uh, watermelon or my muskmelon? Well, one of the things is if you, if you look at the stem, where the stem is, uh, that's part of the vine, when that starts drying up right around the top and that's ready to snap off, that's a, they're, they're, they're done growing then. And the other thing is, on a watermelon, sometimes if they're nice and yellow on the bottom where they've been sitting, that's a good example. But one of the best things that I've found is when they smell, when a watermelon mm. smells, it's giving off this aroma of a watermelon or a muskmelon is giving off this aroma, um, they're, they're ready to come in. Or if you keep good records, you know, follow what the package says. 
if it says it needs 100 days and we've had ideal conditions and it's met these other uh, checkoffs, then it probably could be picked. But there's nothing sadder than picking your prized melon. And it's not ripe. Oh. Yeah, yeah, right. So I picked one of my muskmelon and brought it home. I put it in the sink first thing in a stainless steel bowl, and I washed it off. Even though it was sitting on a bed of leaves, uh, I didn't want to bring leave any bacteria that might be on the skin that might be harmful. Because if you cut into a melon and you haven't washed it thoroughly, you're going to bring that bacteria right into the fruit. So I did that, and now I put it in a refrigerator to cool for a couple of days, and then I'm going to cut into it and see what I've got. Well, Jeff brought uh, a musk or a cantaloupe, I don't know, muskmelon cantaloupe home uh, from, he got it at the grocery store. It was grown locally, it said, from Anderson Farms. It's huge, huge melon, and it smelled so strong. I'm like, whoa, is, is that overripe? But he cut into that. That was one of the, oh, it's the best tasting melon I've had. But yeah, yeah. That, you could certainly sm- smell that. And oh, by the way, the other thing I want to mention, now is the time to order your fall bulbs if you're going to order any mm-hmm. and you want any. Uh, planting season starts for that very soon. And yeah. I, I don't know about you, when do you start planting your tulips, your uh, <coughs> daffodils, your those sorts yeah. of things? It, September. Because yep, it's coming you up. start improving the soil. Boy, here's a case where um, uh, all of these bulbs need to be in well-drained soil. Yes. You, they just, they, they will decompose without that. So, And if you've had a problem with uh, squirrels um, digging up your bulbs, you want to have a strategy for that. And if you have bulls or moles in your garden like I do, you want to have a strategy for that because all of those things, they don't go away. It seems like these little critters, the way they survive is remembering where all those spring bulbs are planted, and they're in there digging them up and eating them. So I use a chicken wire that I sometimes put over top so they can't dig dig around. Is that what? Don't you do that? Yeah, as well? I do that on the top. But you know, this year with those bulbs, but they they tunnel under the soil, and they seem to have uh, a super sense of smell, and they find the bulbs. And so this year, um, I'm going to be making cages, and I'm going to sink those cages down, and everything is going to, that I plant is going to go into a cage. Now, the voles do not take the daffodils. They no, don't no. Like so that's why I've been planting more and more daffodils, because pretty much nothing, <clears throat> even the deer don't care for them, because a lot of times in the spring, the deer will munch off the bulb, the uh, blooms and that sort of thing so if you want i mean the thing is they're more limited in color in terms of there's now some more pinks and oranges and yellows but um that's your way to go if you got a lot of problem with wildlife and and you can get variety because yeah you can get doubles um and like the king alfred that's one of the older ones those are improved now they have bigger trumpets on them they are brighter in color that if you haven't put them in for a while, look for like the new improved King Alfred. Those are really good. And then look at the different size. If you have a problem with wind, boy, those little like pipit, those little those small daffodils, they're great. You, but you put them in a mass planting because you can't see them otherwise. So if you're used to planting four or five, put ten or fifteen together, and then you've got a really nice planting. You'll see them. They're, they look just absolutely gorgeous. Well, Barbara, tell you what, we are out of time, but it's always great to chat with you. I'm sure you're going to be out in this nice, not so humid weather. Uh, I'm going to be out this weekend doing weeding and just whatever else I can get done. 
Yes, I am. And and take care of yourself and take time to enjoy the bees and the butterflies that are just really prolific right now. Absolutely. Thank you, Barb. Yep. Bye-bye. Yep, bye-bye. It is one minute past 10. You're listening to um, Minnesota Morning on the Maverick at KMSU Radio 89.7 FM in Mankato and KMSK 91.3 FM in Austin. Online at KMSU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato. Big ideas and real world thinking. Well, let's see some headlines today. Blue Earth County's positive COVID rate has